Okay, I got four this morning. Okay, what time of day was Adam created? What time? Uh -huh. Evening. Just a little before <laughs> Eve. Why are Adams Catholic? Ad atoms mm -hmm. with the T. Hmm. Because they have mass. Actually, I only have three. Okay, why didn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was always standing on the deck. Why did the unemployed man get excited while reading his Bible? He thought he saw a job. <laughs> you know, Mike Bickle, uh, when he first got born again, he um he was like, you know, he had no grid for the Bible right. at all. And his, I think it was, it was funny because he said he had all these uncles. It was like just a never-ending supply of uncles. And his dad, I don't know if his dad was alive or if they had divorced or whatever. But anyway, they were watching, I think, The Godfather. And with his mom, and he's like, man, that kind of seems like our family. And sure enough, his dad was mafia, and all his uncles were actually mafia. Well, anyway, so when he gets born again, he thought the book of Job was Job. And he thought it'd help you get a job. And then he started reading, and it's like, man, this is terrible. Oh, I laughed so hard when I heard that. You know what all those jokes have in common? They're dumb. They're punnies. They're all scriptural. Not playing cards? <laughs> Being created just a little before Noah eat? on the deck, standing on them? I think that's extremely interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he brought on that road. True, true. Alright, so we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings 22. So now we're back on track with Lesson 19. <laughs> Everything is fixed uh, on the website. And uh, we're going to Ahab and the false prophets. Um, and uh, we'll read verses 1 through 5 first. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, which would be Ahab. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet, and we do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. In other words, if we're going to pick a fight, we better make sure that God is on our side. Now, last week we learned that God defeated Syria, right? The Ben-Hadad um, situation. So everything's quiet for the three years, but God told Ahab to get ready 
because they would, you know, return. They would come back and want to fight again. So I don't know, like, if he felt so ready that he was ready to go to battle over that area or uh, what was going on, if it was greed, etc. But we do know that Benadad had entered into a treaty with Ahab and he promised to restore the cities that he had taken. And he also had promised to open up uh, Damascus so they could establish bazaars. Which, isn't that a funny word? Like, where'd the word bazaars come from? <laughs> you know, it's like boots. Where did the word boots come from? Do you ever wonder about that stuff? I do. Like bazaars. Anyway, okay, little rabbit trail. So Ahab promised to let Benadad go based on this offer when he should have actually destroyed him. And the prophet was not happy. So to refresh our memory, if you go back to 1 Kings 21, 28 through 29, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he... Uh, well, this is confusing. That's not the right one. Anyway, because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his Sundays I will. But that doesn't make That's any... That's 21, 28. Right, and it should be back in, uh, here we go. Yeah, I've got the wrong one. So that's actually 1 Kings 20, 35 through 43. So this one is where the prophet, remember he told that man to hit him, and he wouldn't, and so he said, well, because you wouldn't hit me, a lion's going to eat you. So we talked about that last week, pretty, pretty severe, but... It was a ploy to get before the king to say, because you did not kill Benadad, uh, you're going to be judged as well. And uh, in verse 40, And as your servant's was servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided. Then he hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets and said, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out, out of your hand the man whom I have devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. So that was the prophetic uh, response to Ahab letting Benadad go. Now we know between the battle with Benadad and now, the three years that have passed, Ahab grew more wicked and he took the vineyard away from Naboth. And so things are just getting, you know, worse and worse. And uh, now, Ramoth Gilead is actually one of the main cities. Uh, that It was a very important city. And it was one of the ones that Benadad should have given back to him. And I'm sure this bugged him. But he, he didn't want to go to battle alone. He wanted to get Jehoshaphat involved. Well, Jehoshaphat was related to Ahab by marriage. And I wish that would have never happened because you can see that once those families joined, then the idolatry and the wickedness began to infiltrate its way into Judah and cause a lot of problems. So he needed help. Well, I want to read 2 Chronicles 18, 1 through 3, which if you want like a parallel behind the scenes, I like that the Chronicles literally bring out the behind the scenes. I mean, what the enemy's up to and different things are going on in the mind of the people. So it adds some more detail. So here it shows us the marriage alignments, align, alliance. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. And he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. After some years, 
he went down to Ahab in Samaria. I guess he was visiting. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? He said, I am as you are, my people. As your people, we will be with you in war. So I like how the Chronicles brought out a little more of what was going on. And that word induced is interesting. So it means to incite, allure, instigate, and mislead. It has a sense of stirring up persons with the intention to get them to deviate, to act with destructive, harmful purposes or results in mind, to incite people to be evil, or to lead them astray. So it appears that Ahab had actually invited Jehoshaphat to Samaria on the pretense of, you know, visiting and, you know, having a feast and all of that stuff. And really, he wanted to manipulate him into battle. What I like about Jehoshaphat's response is he said, well, we need to ask the Lord about this. So there's already, you know, a, a relationship there with God where he's like, you know, I just want to make sure this is his will. And um, and so then in verses uh, 5 through, or 6 through 8, I guess we could say, So the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 of them, and said, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat had some discernment. <laughs> and he's like, Hmm. Isn't there another prophet of the Lord of whom we can inquire? And the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, well, there's one man that we can ask of the Lord, Micah, the son of Imla, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. Now i got pouty pants again. Okay, you know, this is really, though, an important thing. The prophets, I can't gauge, like, obviously there may be on staff, and we and then we've got Micah here where is he on staff and he's just you know he's ignored because he he speaks truth you know like what's going on here because or are these prophets that are part of the prophetic group that Elisha and Elisha mentored you know I'm just really curious about that but we do know that they're man pleasers they're just they're saying whatever the king wants to hear well, that's going to lead to his destruction. You know, if you listen to the prophets, you'll have success. With listening to prophetic people or prophets comes sometimes correction, right? So anyway, the fact that he is wanting to not get a real prophet because he doesn't want him to speak bad is like not going to the doctor because you're afraid of the diagnosis you'll get. I'm wondering if <laughs> I'm wondering Does it make any sense? in the, um, when you read back like the, uh, English history, mm -hmm. the first son was to go be the inheritor. Right. The second son went into the military, the third yes. went into clergy. Yes. It was a hmm. office. Family, it, was a it passed down. Yep. And, you know, I don't know, but that this, I wonder if it was more of a position rather than a calling. Right. That's interesting. Well, uh, you know, we've got the yes men, 
And, uh, and like I said, you know, it's ironic because none of these prophet, prophets were true servants to the king or they would have been willing to have difficult conversation and warning. That's like Nathan, you know, when he went to David. I mean, a year had passed since David had uh, killed Uriah and taken his wife. And I think I came across a key, by the way, on that of why it did not bother him one bit to kill Uriah. Uh, obviously, you know, other than the fact that he was, you know, jacked in the head at the time. But I was listening to something. I don't even remember what it was. And it reminded me that Uriah was a Hittite. He was not a Jew. So he would have, even though he was one of his mighty men, yeah, he was not a Jew. And I think that was one of the reasonings. You, know, you can get into reasoning that's really messed up of him just getting rid of them is, well, he's not a true Israelite anyway. So, you know, here got Ahab. He's about to go into battle. He needs to hear a true word of the Lord. He doesn't care. And also we got to understand that they had come off the battle of victory where God did have their back. So this is why I ask about the prophets because the prophets could have been finishing God's sentences because they won the last battle, right, supernaturally. So what if they think, well, you know, of course God's going to have our back. Of course. You know, we're Israel, right? We're Samaria, blah, blah, blah. And uh, <laughs> the word hate, I hate him, means to dislike, to be hostile to, or to loathe someone or something. Now, prophecies or prophesies means to speak by inspiration or to predict. And the word good means well-pleasing, fruitful, and appealing. So, you know, no one likes to hear correction or rebuke, especially at first, but we need to have that humility to listen and uh, align with it. To ignore true prophetic word is the height of folly. So it, the fact that he knew that they weren't all that, the 400, would that be a, a, a sign of discernment? Oh, absolutely, or, Joseph, that was discernment. Yeah, or, you know, that something just didn't set right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, I mean, quite frankly, just my suspicious nature would be like, you need 400 people to say yes? Hmm. Why are we going with the crowd? You know, like, I would instantly be like, hmm, I don't know about this. So I don't know. He was either discerning or maybe it was in his nature to be skeptical. Uh, now, <laughs> um, okay, so after he says, I hate him because he doesn't speak good, Jehoshaphat's like, whoa, hold up. You know, you don't want to be saying stuff like that. So the king of Israel summoned an officer, bring quickly Micah, the son of Imla. Now, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. So just picture the scene, right? The author wants you to picture the scene. They're in all their royal regalia. Um, you got all these prophets. They just keep talking about, yeah, 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 go, go, go. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenunna, <laughs> made for himself horns of iron. Okay? And he says, he, he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. So now we have props. Got some props out. They're really just emphasizing he should go to battle. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Yes, go up to Remeth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. 
Mm-hmm. All right, well, the messenger, he goes and gets Micah, and then he says, Behold, the words of the prophet, prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Go ahead and let your word be the word of one of them and speak favorably. Okay, so Micah shows up, and the king's like uh, Jen Pisaki saying, Spotify needs to line up or they're going to suffer financial problems, right? Which, by the way, is against the Constitution. The government is never supposed to use any, remember we learned that, any media to dictate a message. That's state-ran uh, propaganda. And so this is what the king's doing. He said, yeah, go ahead and speak favorably like these others, which it's like, why would you even call them? So Micah said, well, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, I'll speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? He's like, yeah, go ahead and triumph. The Lord will give it to the hand of the king. <laughs> I wonder if he had a tone. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So then the king's like, how many times do I have to make you swear that you'll speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Okay, which, which do you want? Do you want me to tell you good or do you want me to tell you truth? Because what you're wanting, they don't mix. Right? This king is jacked. It's like he's got schizophrenia or bipolar or something. So he says, well, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. What? Okay, here's what what is he doing here? This is like he did a rabbit trail. So you gotta understand what's happening. The king of Israel's main function was to shepherd. Now, in the New Testament, a lot of people tie the pastoral function to a shepherd, right? But a shepherd is governmental. So you always want to remember, like, you know, a typical church pastor. Um, they can be a good administrators, they can be focused on the sheep and taking care of the sheep, and that's all fine. But there should be a governmental anointing on them. And that governmental anointing is this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the government of God can be extended into the city, the state, the county, and a nation. Not where the church is running a nation, but there is an influence there that keeps the nation on the right track. And if that means that a Christian runs for office and wins, that's fine. But you never want where there's a government-sponsored religion, right? So basically what he's saying is it's a rebuke to Ahab. He said, you're not a shepherd. The Lord looked and tried to find a shepherd, and there is no shepherd. Therefore, the sheep just need to go into their homes and that's where they'll find safety. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me but evil? <laughs> oh, man. Well, Ahab had experience with the, a prophet not agreeing with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably how he knew that when he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to win. He wasn't telling the truth. He knew it. Yeah because he had already had experience with the truth. Well, you notice he didn't call Elijah, right? He didn't call right. him to come talk to him. Well, there's two in the land that didn't like him. Right. <laughs> and so, again, it makes me wonder, I really am curious, are these prophets real prophets? 
And then Mike is part of the prophetic company that uh, Elijah was over. Or, you know, I, it's just interesting, uh, that whole dynamic there. Um, okay, so, you know, this happens. So finally Micah said, okay, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. Now the host of heaven, there is his heavenly council, right, G? This is a, the Heiser work where they convened a council, okay? So just like we as his people were his earthly ecclesia, God called his heavenly ecclesia or council together to discuss the matter of Ahab and Jehoshaphat going to battle. Okay, so I want you to picture the, the, the scenario in heaven they called or convened a council. So the Lord was sitting on his throne, the host of he heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and said, Well, I will entice him. And the Lord said, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him. You will succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these your prophets, and the Lord has declared disaster for you. This is an important lesson that undiscerning prophets can be influenced by <coughs> idols in a heart. Hunji, <coughs> that prophetic people have to be careful that you don't allow people's desire to pull a prophetic word out of you that is speaking to actually an idol in their heart. That can happen. And uh, you don't prophesy just because people want you to either. When you start feeling that pull, you got to make sure Holy Spirit saying, go ahead and speak a word. But we kind of need to like break this down a little bit, okay? So we've got an enticer, and his job, he's saying, I can entice him to his own destruction. Remember, there is a word of judgment against Ahab and all of his descendants. So the quicker Ahab's out of the picture the quicker that word is going to come to pass. Because remember, the Lord said, I ain't going to do it while you're alive. But he didn't tell him how long he's going to be alive. So now Ahab's like, you know, I really want that city. So he's fixated on that city, right? Just like we learned Friday. The desires and the thoughts of his heart were, I want that town. And so all these prophets, oh, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And so then the Lord's like, here we go. Okay? Now we know that because God is good and there is no evil in him, what's happening? Ahab is being handed over to the destroyer. Okay? So the jurisdiction of Ahab, he's being turned over to the authority of death. All right? Y'all understand? Because we don't want people to think that God is evil, right? Evil does not come from Him. Okay, so He's being enticed by His own heart to His own destruction. So where it says, uh, let's see, by what means, blah, blah. 
Now therefore, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophet, your prophets. Now it could be like, wait a minute, how? If God is good, there is no shadow or variation in him. He's not subject to change. He's absolute light. Then how can the Lord put a lying spirit in someone if he doesn't possess the ability to lie? So we got to break this stuff down. Well, don't you think that there's always different things coming at people? And discernment on the prophet's part was that they couldn't tell the difference. Right, right. Yes, but listen to this. The word put here in this, uh, right here, means the granting of permission. So the lying spirit is not coming from the Lord. A lying spirit said, I'll go. Wait, you mean a demonic spirit was up there and said, I'll go? Yes, because Jesus Christ had not come yet. Okay, so the sons of God, whether they were fallen or unfallen, could they could go in and out of God's presence. The uh, evidence of that is in Job, but also Zechariah maybe, where the accuser goes up and the Lord's like, what have you been up to? Well, I've just been walking back and forth. He went to the council meeting. So it's just like, picture it this way, the city government, okay? Anybody can walk into a city commission meeting. Anybody can walk into a county commission meeting. But it doesn't mean that they're necessarily in agreement with the city council, right? That's a place for you to voice your opposition to maybe something they're planning. So it's the same thing. It was like an open, convened meeting, a lying spirit's there, so the Lord granted permission to the lying spirit to go and deceive the false prophets. So, Micah is not only insulting Ahab, he's also <laughs> insulting the prophets. Okay? So, Zedekiah, the one with the horns, he's probably like one of those weird people that would go around and throw mantles on you and stuff in meetings, you know? That's probably kind of where he comes from. Uh, came near... He struck Micah on the cheek. And he said, how did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Oh, oh. So you're the only one that can hear God? Uh-huh. So Micah said, well, you'll see on that day when you go into your inner chamber to hide yourself. So the king of Israel said, seize him and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. In other words, you hold him till I come back alive. And Micah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, here all you peoples. I like that word, peoples. Okay, now, this is crazy. God strategizing about how a person's going to end up dead. I would not want to be the subject of such a conversation. Okay? Uh, the word evil in verse 23 describes God's judgment of the individual or nation. In other words, his verdict has been uh, delivered and now it's time to execute punishment. Now, when we get to verse 29, it says, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Okay, first of all, what are you doing, Jehoshaphat? 
You know what I mean? It's like, her? Okay. I don't think that's what was going on there. Because Jehoshaphat couldn't be dumb like that because he wouldn't have had the discernment to say, hey, do we have a real prophet in the house? Here's what I think was going on, and I could be wrong. But I think Jehoshaphat's like, hey, I'm not the one that got the verdict of death. You can put me in your clothes all day. I could sit in the middle of the battlefield like a duck just waiting, and no one's going to kill me because I'm not the one that's got God's eye of judgment on. Right? So he agrees to it. Ahab literally thinks he can outsmart God. He obviously believed the word, and it also tells you what kind of poop bird Ahab is, and that he's willing to have his relative who's married to his daughter to wear his clothes hoping that he's the one that's going to die. I, I just, you know, he just irritates me. Well, okay. I think, too, the robes de uh, signify honor. Mm -hmm. And so when Jehoshaphat wanted to go into battle, he didn't want to go as a thief or a, you know, somebody well, less king, than what he was. You know he what went I mean? in as the king. But yeah. he was his own king. Yeah. He had his own nation. I mean, right. the whole thing yeah, was just yeah. dumb. If you're you going to do it, you do it with class, not like... It was a smoking Yeah, It was. Okay, so verse 31. The king of Syria... Now, remember, they're picking the fight against the king of Syria. So he had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots. He said, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. I don't care about any of them, but you get me that king. And when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, well, surely it's the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and he said, he cried out. And when the captains of the chariot saw it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man, now get this, this is crazy. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around and carry me out of battle because I'm wounded. That is incredible. Then the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until the evening when he died. And the blood of the wound followed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset, a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. This random, I mean, that, it was like a heat-seeking missile. Now, I'm not familiar, like, with the scale armor and the breastplate, but wouldn't it mean it had to go in, like, to the side? Because you would have your breastplate and then your, your scaled armor, like, it would literally... Probably in it right between the straps, That's what I'm thinking. And it probably went up into his heart. Right up through this. Right underneath Or not even that. I mean I could picture it would have he could have ran from that arrow and that arrow would have been like <laughs> you know? one of those missiles that can just arrow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he dies. And uh you know, I'm not sure if anybody was going to shed many tears. But anyway, so they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all the stupid stuff that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And he slept with his fathers and then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. 
So it appears, first of all, that God is not politically correct. The word prostitutes is used instead of sex workers. You're supposed to say that nowadays. I don't know if y'all knew that. What, what would have been the thought process behind the prostitutes bathing? That's where they bathe themselves. Yeah. So it appears they just wash the blood because they're considered unclean. So the pool that they would clean themselves in, they just went over and cleaned out the chariot. Okay. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a prophetic message to that. Yeah. You know. And uh, so obviously his death is the fulfillment of the word after he killed Naboth back from 1 Kings 21:19 in the Amplified. It says, Thus says the Lord, have you killed and also take possession? Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your blood. All right. Now, Jehoshaphat, uh, there's just a little sidebar for him. We'll finish up our, our story here. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of King Ahab of Israel. So they reigned together for a long time. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shili, and he walked in all the way of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away still. And the people sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And Jehoshaphat, you know, made peace with the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land, he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father's Asa. Uh, of his father Asa. Okay. <clears throat> now, it was Rehoboam that introduced male cult prostitutes into Judah. And then Asa didn't get rid of, rid of them, he banished them, but Jehoshaphat executed them. So this was a, a very perverse form of idolatry, uh, and I don't know why Asa didn't eliminate them uh, back then, but anyway, Jehoshaphat did. Okay, and then in verse uh, verses 47 through um, 50, it says, There was no king in Edom. A deputy was a king. So Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, go for the ships were wrecked at Ezean Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to him, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And then Jehoshaphat died, and he was buried with his fathers. And then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. I don't quite understand all of this, um, except that I know that during Solomon's reign, he had gained control of Edom. And then they tried to throw off the yoke here, and then uh, Jehoshaphat um, didn't allow that, and he was building ships in their ports. So... Uh, you know, they're just kind of going through the history. And then finally, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal, and he worshipped him, and he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So that's uh, the end of 1 Kings, uh, the book. So what's interesting is, you know, God has a, an extremely long memory, in other words, forever. And you'll notice that the author keeps bringing up where it all started, Jeroboam, right? 
he just keeps bringing it up because it's a lesson. You know, what your choices are can have generational impact. You know, all that Solomon had to do was what God said. <laughs> that's, that's all he had to do, and he, he didn't. And so because of Solomon, then we have the split, then we have Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and then we just have this culmination that's going to end in Israel being completely wiped off the face of the planet, and then Judah uh, also almost completely wiped off the face of the planet, except God always has his remnant, and he kept his word to David. And uh, so anyway, it's just kind of a sad deal. Uh, what, you know, what, it has to be, again, the desires and thoughts. You know, that was so powerful Friday, where it's like, you know, it, our hearts, this is what, to me, is probably worth saying as we finish up. Everybody, like we were talking about Friday, blames the devil. You know, everything's the devil. Well, he may enjoy all that glory, but the reality is, the devil is not the one that entices us at the start. It's always the heart, according to James. And remember, we pointed out, why were Adam and Eve standing next to the forbidden tree? They wanted that tree. That's why they were there. So they were keeping it in their focus. They were pondering it. They were thinking about it. All the enemy had to do was push them right over the edge. They were already ready. So that's what he does. In Luke 4, it talks about how he watched the Lord. He was looking for a more opportune time because then he was going to, you know, so he's... Yeah, you get what you focus on. That's like in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. It's like, as you gaze upon the Lord, you're transformed into the same image. So whatever you gaze upon, that's what you become, good or bad. And so that's why it's even important in your Christian practices to make sure that you're, for example, there's a lady I'm you know, mentoring, her husband, he can pray. And every morning he gets up, he has his devotions, and he can pray. He prays in the Spirit. He pray. It's a beautiful thing. And yet he can't treat his family right. I don't care if you can pray like Jesus. <laughs> if you can't treat your family right, it means nothing. Because God always looks to your family first, how you treat them. He can minister to all kinds of people and be helpful to everybody but his family. Why? Because it's very easy to put on a show, right, for everybody else and to think that you are serving the Lord. So it always goes back to the private life and how you're treating those closest to you. And so it's very important to realize that you can even get so focused on Christian disciplines and think you're all that in a box of what? Bag of chips. Bag of chips. <laughs> Those really good ones from Costco, the multi-grain ones. You can think you're Costco chips. And you just taste like dung. You know what I mean? So it's really important to make sure that you look more and more like Jesus. That That's what's really important. And just, you know, what comes to my mind again is that lawyer that helps people that have been abused by churches and he said the closer you get to the top of churches the less Jesus you see and that's not how it should be that's really sad and uh, so Father we thank you so much for your word and, and Father I thank you so much for Jesus' blood because now 
there are no demonic spirits that can go into your council room. There are no, uh, you know, Satan showing up and accusing the brethren. That the blood has washed away all of that. He no longer has access to that. Uh, that well, heaven itself. But we do know that he works overtime to accuse us. That our hearts will accuse us. He tries to influence and to add to. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. I'm not talking to you to accuse us. And so, Father, uh, because of the blood, you've silenced the accuser. We don't need to focus on the negative thoughts we have about ourselves. We don't need to give those thoughts room in our hearts because what we observe and give attention to is what we become. And so I pray, Father, that instead we focus on Jesus as put forth in His Word of who we are now. That He's not an example for us. He's an example of us. Our Genesis, where we come from, your original intent, all of that is in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we want to rest in focus in that, like a laser focus where everything else disappears. That we're not of the mindset, well, that was Jesus. No, 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 no. That is who we are right now. In fact, we've been given your Holy Spirit as a guarantee that that's who we are. And that one day you will return and we will receive our resurrection bodies in the twinkling of an eye. It is a done deal. It is already done in your eyes. And then we will never, ever, ever again be subject to temptation. And so, Father, I pray that we focus on the one thing, and that is Christ in us, the expectation of glory. Because if we do that, everything else will fall away. Because, Father, we know that the reason that's important is we can make decisions that are not your decisions that can lead to the very things that the kings encountered. So we want to make sure, Father, that we don't take any glory in any disciplines we have, any gifts or skill sets we operate in. The only glory that we ever take is that Christ lives in us. He shared Himself, His glory, and His inheritance with us. And that's something that He did apart from anything we would ever do. And we could never deserve that. So we thank You so much for Him. And so, Father, right now, uh, not as a do-it-yourself legalism or anything like that, no imposition, no pressure, no manipulation, we give you our tithes and offerings this morning with thanksgiving. They are bathed in thanksgiving. They're bathed in the glory of God because you enabled us to gain wealth this past week. Therefore, we give you back a portion so that you can sanctify the rest and to declare our allegiance to you and you alone. So we ask Jesus that you receive them as kings to a king and that you give us wisdom on how to use them as the hub. So we thank you for that. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.